With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Climate Blue Podcast. My name is Dan Rowlands and I'm joined this evening by John Townley. And I'll apologise straight away for how red and rosy my ears and cheeks look. Been for a run not long ago, then quickly got in the shower, then jumped on this live as soon as possible. And also, the uh, I've put some frames up behind me and it's annoying me that in real life, they, they're level, they're perfect. But I was on this, it looks off and it's, yeah, I'll keep looking up at that corner myself. I think it looks weird. John, how are you? How's things your end? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right, thanks, mate. Um, Jeremy couldn't get the win today, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm we take the point we move on um we, we, we've, we've been good in recent weeks and i think that the performance at least in the first half today was good as we'll go on to touch about but um yeah i'm fine thanks mate yeah that's what we had to talk about um tonight west ham one aston villa one a little bit of a missed opportunity in some senses to go you know a couple of points away from european football if we're allowed to whisper that quietly don't think it's ever going to be achievable this season but we have gained a point on brentford and brighton as it this both lost this weekend brighton and fulham whichever ones it was obviously we've gained one point on those but should have been all three really you know it's a game you look at as much as we've got a terrible record of west ham as to side that's near the bottom we should in the form we've been in should be able to go there and get all three points um We'll talk about a couple of different flashpoints throughout the game as we go through, but we'll go back to team news first of all. And this is always a little bit of a, a pointless discussion in some aspect because you then go on to talk about the rest of the game. But I don't want to talk to you about the specific starting 11. I want to mention the bench, Diego Carlos being back. It's a yeah. nice boost, isn't it, to have him back in the squad? Yeah, um, Steve, Steve agrees. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's been... Even his horse there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cheltenham as well next week, so that's uh, relevant. I think it's been, what, seven months, I think, since... Well, no, it was in August, wasn't it? Late August. Yeah, um, yeah really good. It's. I think there was maybe hope that he'd be back in February, sort of in and around the matchday squad, but there's no real reason to push him. Um, so he's fit enough to play... You know, Premier League football, which is great, although we probably can't do 90 minutes. I think just the fact that he can, you know, come on if needed was a, yeah, it's, it's a major boost for us. Um, and great for him too, because rupturing your Achilles, that can take up to a whole year to recover from. So the fact that he's done it in almost sort of, well, half a year, I suppose, is also good because you're thinking at the time, oh, you know, snapping your Achilles can really kind of impact your career, especially at the age that he is. Um, mm. You know, old but he's i think is he 30 now or is at least getting to the other side of 30 so yeah that was a worry and i think because he's come over it as quick as he probably can although it's been six seven months then um yeah hopefully that bodes well in terms of next season and yeah it's good to have a although i don't think you know concert and mings have been particularly poor in recent weeks especially they've been good um mm. places and we know how good diego carlos is as well so yeah, we, we've definitely missed him, although we, you know, he only played twice, but we know what he's going to bring to us. And hopefully he can be the player that we bought, although he's had you know seven months out through injury. Hmm. He's uh, 30 on Wednesday, coincidentally. So okay. many happy returns to Diego Carlos, if you're watching, uh, for Wednesday. Um, our first draw under Emery, can't complain, says Chris in the comments. That feels like a, 
a stat that it can't be right. But Wolves, yeah, there we go. Sure, I was just thinking there must have been another one. But it does feel like this kind of weird, flat almost result, I guess, performance as well to a certain extent. But I just feel like when you look at a game like West Ham and Hope and Target, that could be a three-pointer for you coming to Bournemouth or Bournemouth coming to us on uh, next weekend. Another game that you look at as a, a game to get three, three points. So I only get one. Sorry, I just did a little burp then. I should have just got away with hiding that. But if someone spots it, I should have just said it. Um, yeah, it just feels a little bit flat, a little bit disappointing to a certain extent. It's just, I don't know, I expected more. I wanted to see more. So to see a 1-1, no goals in the second half either, and it kind of peter out into a bit of nothingness is just a little bit flat, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, usually I'm quite uh over dramatic and reactionary but i'm not actually too um frustrated if i'm being honest i think if you look at the games that are coming up you say bournemouth and forest at home if you if you can win those all of a sudden seven points out of three games is okay mm. because we know when we were talking a couple of months before about like the january that we had and it was a really nice run of games and we know that in the premier league there's nine clubs below us all you know potentially going to get relegated but nine teams won't go down so those teams mm. will points so although west ham are um well, now they're just above the relegation zone. They're not as bad as what people probably make, make them out to be. I think they've won the last two games at home as well, scored seven goals. And they really, I mean, they did have a couple of chances, to be fair, but, you know, so did Everton when we kept a clean sheet there. Yeah. But they had to, you know, take a penalty to score against us and actually we'd probably keep a clean sheet if they didn't, you know, if we didn't make a one mistake through Bailey, which we'll go on to talk about. Um, so I'm not particularly frustrated. I mean, again, yeah, of course, I'd like to win the game, but if you can't win it, don't lose it. And under Emery, we won't lose um, as many games as what we would if we had, you know, a different manager, should we say. So I think away from home, we'll, we'll be fine next season. Mm-hmm. So make the mistakes that we you know, could make. And at home, that's where we've got to sort of, you know, continue to improve. But yeah, Bournemouth and Forest coming up at home, two good games. Chelsea away after the international break is going to be tricky now that they've kind of sort of, I don't know, come back into form I suppose and um, Leicester away is a nice trip as well considering their sort of struggles as well at the moment but yeah mm-hmm. uh, overall I'm not particularly you know fis- not as frustrated as I thought I might have been um, you know we've made massive strides under Emery there's a lot more to come there's new signings Carlos is coming back there's a summer window sort of onwards and upwards it's just to the end of the season we're never going to come out of 11th it would seem um, <laughs> I was just thinking about that Chelsea game you mentioned there beating them would be a surefire way of closing that gap and finally getting out of 11th place hopefully yeah, I would almost I think Chelsea would probably continue to be okay should we say and get in and around 7th I think you're probably looking at like a Fulham can they come down a bit lo- a bit more I know they've mm. missed the key play over the last few weeks Palinia. but um, yeah hopefully we can continue to chip away and if you can get Two home wins on the bounce, um, Forest and Bournemouth in the coming weeks, get a result at Leicester, maybe get something at Chelsea. And this point all of a sudden looks, you know, it's not so bad against the West Ham yeah. team, the lives, lives, sorry. And yeah, they're not having a good season, but we know that that's the same team that finished, what, sixth or seventh last year. So yeah, um, onwards and upwards, I think. Yeah, I think if you were plotting a kind of graph with the trajectory of where we would have gone this season since Emery's come in, it's been mostly mostly uphill, 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 and then maybe a little kind of sideways step here and there, and then you know overall, yeah. if and you're zooming only- out, it's all wide up, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> if you're zooming out, I like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and but it's, it's going to continue doing that, though, isn't it? Because we've is hopefully, four- yeah. And we've had huge strides in terms of improvement. And we've got so much more to come as well, because a lot of our players have you know, got a lot more to give in terms of 
you know, age, like Watkins is, um, you know, just about coming into his peak at the moment. We've got other players who are coming into, you know, that sort of bracket. And new signings, a full summer um, pre-season. I know we said a lot of this about Gerard, but we can clearly see the differences. It's night and day to where we were at the start yeah, of the Ger- season. Gerard's graph was like this all the way, wasn't it? Up, down, up, yeah. down, down. But yeah, down, just, down. <laughs> just in the first half, though, you could just see, I was thinking at the time, like if you're a West Ham fan, you'd be watching Villa and thinking, oh, that's what a proper sort of, I know, yeah. you know just David Moyes, but that's what a proper team's doing. Like we were keeping the ball really well, dominating and, and you know, in patches, defending well, um, apart from one mistake. And then we were creating really good um, opportunities, good link of play with Moreno and Buendir and different bits. And I was really mm. pleased after the first half. The second half kind of just went by without much, you know, to kind of talk about. Duran obviously had those two chances. Um, not much the, you know, kind of uh, reactionary uh, shots, I suppose you could call them. Mm. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think it's positive again. We could have won the game. We could have lost it at the same, you know, the same time. So, we take the point, London Stadium, for as bad as West Ham have been, they're not, they haven't been horrendous at home. They've been really bad away from home, but yeah. at home it has been so bad. So to get a point, we take it. As long as we can sort out our home form from now to the end of the season, I think going into next season, I've seen enough already that would suggest that we're in really capable hands and that a top seven push would absolutely be on. Um, as long as, I say, we can improve a couple of positions, add a bit more depth, and we can continue to perform as we've done away from home and, translate that to home as well we'll be we'll be right up there i think yeah in recent weeks we've said things like you know there's not a massive amount to talk about from this game but there are these spells of like intricate passing play or players yeah. actually playing between themselves and, and making space for each other and dribbling with the ball or having nice passes whatever it is and it might only be fleeting moments throughout a game and then you go on to draw like today and you kind of think well that's all forgotten about but those kind of building blocks are there for the future going forward as you said about what you know, if you're a West Ham fan watching the opposition today, us, we've done that and we've spoken about it on the podcast going, I don't know what Stephen Gerald's trying to do. Look at Fulham or look at Bournemouth or whoever we're playing and going, I can see what they're trying to do, but I don't know what Villa are doing. It's the reverse of that now. You can see where we're headed. It's just that, unfortunately, for the position that Emery's taken over in, He's had one transfer window and we haven't got the players to play the way he wants to play just yet. We're kind of, they're all giving their best, I think, for the most part. But to be, you know, if we're, to go back to the graph, if we're up here with Emery at the moment and we want to be up here, we need to sign some players to bridge this gap between the players we've got now who aren't, or who aren't quite capable and players that know this system and, and understand it and will have a full pre-season to work on it. Um, there's a comment here from Daniel who says getting upset over a draw shows that we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, I don't know if I'll go as far to say that I'm upset about it, but it's annoying not to it's annoying not to take all three points against the side who are sixteenth or seventeenth. But yeah, it's frustrating. You you want to do more than that, but it does show that we're heading in the right direction, I guess. Exactly. It's like you kind of for the next twelve games or have I think it's twelve games left in the season, we've kind of just got to take what you know you take the positives and what you can get and come the first game of next season that we, I think there'll be such a positive energy and a, you know, a real belief so. that we can really do something because we, we've come out of what a third of the season, maybe more we've, you know, obviously struggled a lot under Gerard and not really looked like we knew what we were doing. And under Emery, it's taken him four months to, as I say, make huge improvements in terms of not just, you know, defensively and, you know, being organised back to basics, all of that stuff. It's not just that. It's just say patterns of play, players linking together nicely and um, we're creating good opportunities off the back of it. And those are the, say, the sort of things that we'd look at at Villa Park and think, oh, I wish we could play like this Palace team or this Leicester team it may be and we can't lose sight of that of how quickly we have come like I always say we were a championship team like four years ago so or five years ago how many years it was now um four years ago 
so the, the improvements that we've made are huge and we can't sort of do that thing that Villa fans usually do and think, oh, you know, we could get Europe this season, oh, but we only draw to West Ham, that's not really good enough. You know, we've got to take it as a, you know, as a, a pinch of salt that we're what, like 10 points ahead of some of the teams beneath us and mm-hmm. yeah, we've made massive improvements. If you said that there was nine teams all scrapping, you know, the bottom of, the, not the bottom of the league, but in terms of scrapping for survival, yeah. You would put us in that bracket after we couldn't beat Leeds down to ten men. After we couldn't beat Forest, who were poor at the start of the season, and other you know we had other poor results. We lost to West Ham, and that was like the first goal they scored away from home, and yeah. first they had. So massive improvements, and a lot to look forward to next season. It's just frustrating on a Sunday night. You can't celebrate a win against a team that haven't been particularly great. But um, yeah, again for me, there's just more positives, and I seem to be kind of coming out of most games now feeling like that. I think the Leicester game is a blip, but again we knew. There's mistakes there, and those mistakes hopefully won't happen in you know two yeah. months, let alone two years. So yeah, um, the long-term vision is really positive. It's just a bit frustrating when you can't sort of celebrate a win against a team that is you know five or six places below you. Mm, I think that's a really nice kind of overall assessment of, of the game as a whole. So let's try and zone in on a couple of individual moments. Let's talk about the goal. I really like the goal. It's not like a, a flashy goal. It's not going to win goal of the month or goal of the season or anything like that. But just the way it came about, just nice, really nice. I, I love a cross from deep. It always looks nice, doesn't it? When it's got loads of whip on it, the header's good from Watkins. Very kind of annoying that it wasn't last week, so he could continue his uh, goal streak going going forwards. But that's what six goals in seven games now, Um, four consecutive goals away from home. Great header as well. Just a really really nice goal overall. Great ball in, great header, and yeah, like you said, frustrating that that's not the winning goal at the end of the day. But another one, another one closer for Watkins to get his goal tally to what is that double figures now? Uh, Ten or eleven. Nine, nine goals in the Premier League. Okay, yeah. I think it's 10 overall, or maybe 11, unless he scored in the cup competitions. I know he scored at least once um, against United. But uh, yeah, really good for Watkins. It was almost, you know, obviously you want him to get as many goals as you can in a row, but I suppose after he scored five, then didn't score and missed the chance that he missed to go as well against Palace. Yeah. You were kind of thinking, oh God, you know, he needs to kind of get back on it as quick as possible because we know that Watkins can, and it's not really criticism, like in his 14-goal season, his first campaign with Villa, he would score four goals, go six games without scoring, then score, you know, kind of in yeah. Um So it's nice that he can, you know, the game after he would have been really frustrated with himself not to get his sixth in sixth and miss a big chance the game after he takes it must have been one of his first touches as well I think it was our first like like, um, yeah forward movement or whatever the proper phrase is like our first attempt on goal or whatever the goal I'm pretty sure yeah um and the Moreno's cross was, yeah, excellent pinpoint. It was, um, like, I was thinking it was a bit ironic that West Ham, who were like land of giants, all of their players were above like six foot four. Um, there was a header, but then you're thinking, well, actually, the cross was so good, it was, <laughs> there was no defender near him, sort of thing. It was yeah. almost like a, um, you know, he, he had all the sort of room he needed, Watkins, to sort of guide the header in. So, yeah, um, yeah, really nice goal. And just say it's a shame, it was just kind of had to kick ourselves in the foot, um, shoot ourselves in the foot, sorry, nine minutes later with a, a kind of a daft um, penalty, I suppose. And we'll, we'll get on to it, but I think it probably was. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, we'll talk about the penalty in a little bit. David says, downward headers are becoming a bit of a signature move for Watkins. Love it. Yeah, just nice control with the header as well to put it where yeah. he put it. Um, yeah, we're going to do a podcast soon about like the best Villa goals ever or whatever, and that won't be a contender for that. But it's one that I'll just look at and go, oh, I just liked everything about it. Yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. of individual moments. Nice. We move on. Ultimately, it's a one-all draw against West Ham and me. Nothing, but yeah, still nice. Um, he had another great chance as well, didn't he? Uh, at some point during the game, can't remember when, from a couple of yards out that he did nothing with and he should have scored, if we're, if we're being critical, really. I think he'd put it straight in the goalkeeper's hands. 
like five, six yards out, ten yards out. I can't remember. It was inside the six. No, it was inside the six yard box. I'm sure it was. Do you oh, not remember it? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> no. Somebody in the comments uh, will remember it, unless I'm getting confused with another game in the last couple of hours. But oh, yeah, actually, sure. sorry. the ball comes. Yeah. It was. I think it was just slightly behind him. The cross. Uh, mm. I think it's Moreno again. So uh, I think that's why Moreno's so good because it's the, it's the sort. It's diff. I don't know what the right word is, but the sort of the variation of his crosses and his deliveries and his passing and his movements. You, you can't predict what he's going to sort of do if you're a defender. You don't know if he's going to drill it across the box or stand one up at the far post. Or So that's good. Um, but yeah, he's just slightly behind him. I think Watkins will be able to kind of move his feet and that was the only place he could really, you know, put it. I think like a Giroud or something, like an expert at that, he would have hit it mm. with the outside of his boot. I killed it. <laughs> yeah, and that's what he does though. And that, that was his trademark. But um, yeah, Watkins just got his goal. Can't really complain too much. Mm. Is there a kind of wider conversation here for Ollie Watkins being in the next England squad? Do you think? Yeah, he has to be in it. Um, like he has to. <laughs> There's no obviously Harry Kane's in it, but who's England's second striker at the moment? It's not going to be obvious. Trying, before we came on, I was trying to think of who was in the last. Like, like Callum Wilson was he? Well, well, you've got Tammy, Callum Wilson, and Ivan Tony. And unless I've missed one, those are the only ones that I can think of. But Watkins is one of the informed players in the Premier League, let alone mm. the national team. So yeah, he has to be in it. I think I said it after the after he scored four goals, just making a row. He has to be in it because not just because of how well he's playing, but the competition isn't anywhere near um, as what it should be really for an England squad. When you think about it, like Callum Wilson hasn't yeah. scored, I don't think, or he's scored very little since the World Cup, or since the end of the World Cup. Mm. Ivan Tony's obviously got. Um, those charges against him with betting, uh, the FA don't probably want to pick him at the moment. And who's the other one that I mentioned, but I can't remember. Um, I don't know, I've already forgotten, I'm sorry. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy Abram has only scored yeah. goals. Uh, so yeah, he'll, he'll be in the squad. He'll probably be in a mix with like a Rashford, Kane, and then other you know wide players like Jack Grealish. I was going to say, was, if Rashford wasn't in last time, he'll, he'll definitely in there with the form he's yeah. had. There's as nuanced here, isn't there? We'll go with the Southgate, specifically pick Ollie Watkins and those kind of conversations. Just, Maybe why? not, but should a player that has had Ollie Watkins' form this season be in yeah. the international side for friendlies and qualifiers, 100%. Yeah, and he does like Watkins, to be fair, Southgate. I remember he said in the um, World Cup, I think, it was the World Cup, he, he, he was quite close to getting in it. He missed or, out, just after he yeah, missed out, he mentioned him. Or, yeah. In the Euros as well, he was very close. Um, or he got him, but missed out in the last, uh, you know, uh, selection. But yeah, he likes him a lot. Watkins brings something that a lot of strikers can't in terms of his pressing. We all know what he gives us. Um, so yeah, he's excellent player and hopefully he can get in the England squad, although <laughs> we all know what kind of happens after that. Um, <laughs> But if we, I think if you evaluate it, I don't think we can be particularly scared of him leaving because um, I don't know. I just get the, the feeling that number one, we just wouldn't let him go. Plus, um, 
top teams think are looking for a certain type of striker and I'm not sure if that's Watkins think you mm. want like a killer Watkins is scoring goals and doing really well for us but I think that's his you know level really if we you know if we were in the top seven or something could get in towards that that's you know Ollie Watkins's level I think I don't know if he's a Champions League yeah. player although I love him and he could definitely offer something to an Arsenal to a Man United or whoever because he's so different to what other strikers are I don't think teams would be paying the sort of money we want for a striker that would sit on the bench um, yeah. so yeah that sort of no no issue and I think him being around the England squad is only a good thing anyway for him and then for us so yeah I saw, I saw a story that Ash wrote about saying that you know, Ollie Watkins deserves a new Aston Villa contract or something like that and it's probably one of our wider kind of midweek podcasts where we'll have a specific chat about Watkins and his England future and his Villa future and whether he deserves a new contract I'd I'd be on board to keep him. I think you're spot on there that if we're in the top eight of the Premier League pushing for the top six, Ollie Watkins is a 15-goal-a-season striker. That probably is about as best as he can do and we can do in terms of having him in our side with other players supplementing him, getting 10, 9 goals around him. Um, there'll be a lot of talk about a 20-goal-a-season striker. I'm not sure that they quite exist unless they're at the elite, elite level. And like you said, are Arsenal or Tottenham going to pay £50 million for, for Ollie Watkins to be a second striker and score six or seven goals a season? Seems very unlikely. So it's almost like a little perfect um, scenario of club and player match each other very, very well. Yeah. Um, let's move away from Watkins then and to the goal we conceded through the penalty. <sighs> the penalty, I mean... With my Premier League referees VAR hat on for a brief second, I can see why it was given. There's contact on an opposition player in the penalty box. You can't do that by the letter of the law. It's a penalty. With my Aston Villa fan having a common sense hat on, absolutely outrageous. How is that a penalty? <laughs> There's not enough contact to make him go down. So part of me thinks, well, if you're Leon Bailey, don't touch him at all then. So unless you're going to proper give him a, a, a nudge to get him off the ball, don't touch him at all so you don't give the referee a decision to make. But if that's on the halfway line, is it even a foul? Probably not. Almost, actually, almost certainly not. So why is it a penalty? Just because it fits in this letterbox rule of if it's in the penalty, contact penalty. It's just outrageous. There's no way it should be given. And yes, like I said, with my referee's hat on, I can see if that's the rules, they have to stick with it. I get it. If it's not quite the rules and the referee's given it, why are VAR not going, actually, you know what? Don't, I don't think that's quite right. Let's change that because VAR don't overturn anything. But from a Villa fan's perspective and not a Leon Bailey perspective, don't be stupid, Leon Bailey. Just don't touch him because you've not done enough to get you know the ball side of the man anyway to put a proper challenge in. So keep your hands off and don't give away the penalty in the first place. Yeah, I think it's one of those where the blame has to go to the attack. I mean, I'm the first one to say, I think it's a disgrace that those are given as penalties, but we know that they will be and so do the players. That's why they fall over. Exactly, yeah. They're only going to win a penalty and I hate it. It's, it's just, it's not good. And but it's not, it's not a foul anywhere else on the pitch because the West Ham player wouldn't go down either because he knows it's probably not going to get given. He yeah, knows I mean, if he have... goes down in the box and there's been some kind of physical contact, he'll win the penalty. So he's going to do yeah. it, isn't he? You do have those ones like when it goes to the corner flag and the players just stand still and the defender goes slightly tight to them and they just fall backwards. It makes no like Ramsey did it to be fair in the mm. first or the second half. I don't remember when it was really soft and it was never a foul. Um, yeah, I think it's one of those where I think the blame has to go to Bailey just because he knows what Paqueta wants to do because Bailey would probably do it himself. Exactly, as any yeah. So don't don't make any forward motion. Basically, you've literally just got to stand still because Paqueta only wants to do one thing and he knows where he is. Um, 
So yeah, he's, heading, he's heading away from goal as well. I, I don't think a defender or a defensive-minded player would even make or attempt to make a challenge there because he's heading in the wrong direction. But Leon Bailey as a forward should think, well, if I was had a defender on my back like this, I would be going down here. So I'll yeah, stay well away because he'll do the same to me. It's it's just stupid. It really is. Yeah, it is. And I think it's one of those where if Kamara was um, fit, maybe Bailey wasn't playing. He'd have McGinn further forward, yeah. further forward. And then all of a sudden, if that's then McGinn or something instead of Bailey, it's not a penalty. And we might win the game, you know, 1-0. So those are little fine margins that we can't put up with next year. And Bailey <laughs> will hopefully learn with it. That sounds like one one for write that down for our uh, butterfly effect sliding doors moment. If if Kamara, I almost said Chris Kamara then, Christ. If Kamara plays against uh, West Ham, Leon Bailey doesn't give away the penalty and we win the game. No, basically, what I'm saying is if Bailey weren't there, he wouldn't. We wouldn't have considered the penalty. It was slow. <laughs> any any defensive player is aware of that more so than attacking players. I don't know why. Like you see, attacking players like steam up to a defender or something when the balls are saying the corner flag and a bit of contact and they're down. Very similar to that, and I think the penalty that we um, kind of shouted about, or Buendia shouted about, was very similar. Sort of minimal contact, player looking for it, but then ref doesn't give it. So I actually think it's more of a it's a consistency issue, really. Like if you're going to give one, you have to give the other. If you don't give one, don't give the other. I'd rather see neither of them be given because I don't think either of them are penalties in terms of real contact. But at the yeah. same time, in 2023, March 2023, those are probably penalties. So maybe we should have had one. To be fair. Yeah, I think there was certainly more in the Buendia Rice one. Was it Rice? Yeah, it was Rice, I think. Yeah, because yeah, they were going after each other was, afterwards, weren't they? Yeah, that I think was weird. I think there's more in that. And that's not just me being biased of one's forward and one's against. Because a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the, the tight offside, whatever game that was, and I was saying that it shouldn't be given and everyone else was saying that it should be it's clearly offside. So I'm always trying to look at it from a, a neutral's point of view to a certain extent as much as I can with my Villa stuff in the background very clearly on a Villa podcast. But the the one on Buendia was more of a penalty than the Bailey one was for them. But like you said, if you give one, you have to give both. Hmm. And I also agree with you, I'd rather see neither given because I want to see more contact than that to make a foul for a penalty. It shouldn't yeah. just be the slightest touch or a clip of an ankle or whatever. It should be a proper yeah. sliding tackle to give a penalty or not something minor. Yeah, did you see that? I don't know if you watched the Newcastle Wolves game, which was a dreadful game. I had a chance, though. Um, but there was Nick Pope, kind of, he sort of messed up in the box, and Jimenez he sort of lunged over to Jimenez, didn't really make loads of contact, but Jimenez fell over under a bit of contact. Should have been a penalty in a red card, really, judging by those rules. So it's like every yeah. game, those decisions are just going to be different by the referee or whoever's on VAR. So to be fair, I actually think it's probably the refs, you know, the VAR isn't going to overturn that because it's just not going to the referees made the decision and it's sort of so you don't really know um VR is not going to change it so yeah I think we've probably been hard done by but ultimately we're the ones who have made the mistake if that makes sense you know we know that those are the rules so then shouldn't be the rules but we know that it will be given so for me I think Bailey is um in the wrong do you think Bailey should have been starting anywhere just from um, a performance point of view so I wouldn't have even oh you wouldn't have been in my team anyway I think it's more the question of who do you put in the defensive role because it all has, an, it all has a domino effect, literally like one, two, three mm. of the sort of right holding midfielder to the right midfielder to the right striker. Um, I was for McGinn playing in uh, or next to Louise, to be fair. I know a lot of fans wanted like Chambers and wanted McGinn to play further forward, but I was thinking more the consequence of playing someone in that holding role who isn't necessarily suited to it because I don't actually think Chambers is particularly 
adept at doing what we need or what we want. Mm-hmm. I'm honest, the things are right coming off the bench and kind of shoring it up, but over 90 minutes, I'd rather have McGinn sit next to Louise. So I was okay for Bailey to start because that meant obviously Buendia would have to have, you know, dropped back and uh, Bailey starting. I think it's, you know, like Tania might have started ahead of um, Bailey if he was fit. So I think, I think it's kind of landed on his feet a little bit with today, Bailey, because it, everything else meant that he kind of had to start. But mm. again, just didn't, just, just, there's just no sort of production or anything with it. Like, I think Traore probably impressed more in the sort of 20 minutes that he had, and that was little. Um, I was going to say, yeah, he was crap as well. I'm not too sure what's happened with but I think, is it since you missed that chance against Wolves, his confidence has been knocked a lot? Because I, I said before, I don't actually think he's had, I think he's had an okay season, like and even under Emery, I think he was all right. Like he was, he was good in my opinion. But then since the Wolves um, miss and since then, he's just been off it completely. Like there hasn't even been a, you know, a spark. He hasn't like had a, you know, particularly good. I don't know moment. I can't even think of like a shot or anything that he's done. Yeah. And it, like he switches onto his left foot well, and I'm thinking, all right, just bend one in the far corner. You know, have a shot, do something. But he just seems to be lacking confidence. He'll turn back and either lose the ball, kids, and want to pass it over. And yeah, just don't know. It's really strange. What do you think? The, the stupid little dink pass come cross uh-huh. shot whatever it was supposed to be sums up his entire Aston Villa career for me because it whatever the sequence of move was I think it was him and Buendia I think it went to Bailey and he, he under hit the pass back to Buendia and I thought Christ, Buendia, Buendia's yeah. got some work to do now to kind of forge a chance and he, he managed to do it and he, and he danced around somebody and, and played it back to Bailey I think if I remember correctly and then I think he cut back onto his left and you expected him to either go back and go down the byline and cross his, cross the ball in on his weaker foot, which you think, well, he's not going to do that. So Stanley left, cut inside maybe and take a shot from distance or whip a ball to, so I think there was somebody overlapping on the far side as well. And he kind of did nothing. It did neither. It was like a little chip pass through to Wendy who was making a run in behind, but I think it just went straight to the West Ham player and it's just like, that's it. That, that little moment there, that 10-second clip, if anyone can remember the specifics of it, you'll, you'll remember how I felt feeling the same way. Just like, it was it was neither one nor, nor the other. It wasn't it wasn't a proper cross or a shot, and it wasn't good enough to be a pass to play through Wendy or whoever it was either. And it was just nothingness, and you think, Christ, is that what 30 million gets you these days? And he might go on to be a great player for Aston Villa. He might go on to be a great player for somebody else somewhere. You might go to another club abroad and we think, oh, he used to play for Aston Villa now. Look at him, he scored 20 goals in the Bundesliga or whatever it might be. But in the here and now, Leon Bailey does not cut it for Aston Villa for me at all. And he, he won't be anywhere near the squad next season for me. Yeah, I think he's probably in danger of dropping out um, completely, I think really. If, if, if someone came in with 15 million, I'd snap your hand off. It'll be interesting to see what the club does because... We know we're going to bring in, you know, we were talking about Cameron Archer's future, for example. And I'd argue that Cameron Archer has or would warrant of running the team next season over Bailey at this point because he, he simply yeah. hasn't shown enough. And I, it's a really tricky one because I do think a lot of it is confidence because I do think there is a player in Bailey. I think he offers a lot, but he just hasn't shown it. Like he just hasn't. He was doing really well in the Bundesliga. And I know a lot of people talk about the Bundesliga and don't say it's anything to do with the Premier League and whatever. I understand that. But a lot of players do. A lot of good players, sorry, do come from the Bundesliga and he was doing very well for Leverkusen. He had his mm. best season before he came to us and showed it in patches as well. But he just hasn't put five or six games together where, you know, you look at him and think, oh, that's a, that's a top player. And Emery has given him the chance. He can't say he hasn't had it. He gave him like 10 starts or something in his first 11, I think it was, or nine starts Something's in his first like that, yeah. Um, I almost felt like that was his trial, you know, mm. under Emery. And Emery's now thinking, well... I know I'm going to bring in a top forward. I'm happy to keep Bailey in my squad, 
but now I'm even questioning if that is enough. You know, I, and then you're looking at Bale and you think, well, what what do you want to do in your career? Because he's was he nearly middle age, nearly 25 now, I think. Um, yeah. There's a career for him somewhere, but I just don't know if it's a villa because we're going in one direction. And he's, he's had an opportunity under him and he just hasn't taken it at all. And we know that we're going to be going buying a, another centre forward, um, potentially another midfielder, you know, slash winger, again, doozy profile perhaps. So his, his, you know, his options appear limited in the squad. I wonder if he'll sort of assess his future and think, do I want to sit, you know, sort of in reserve at Villa for the next, you know, year or so, or shall I just get out sort of while I, while I can, I suppose, because his stock isn't, you know, hasn't fallen off a cliff necessarily because it's a Bundesliga season that he had was only two years ago. Yeah. So there was suitors for him, but I just don't know where, where he goes from here, unless he, unless he sort of lights up the rest of the season, but I just don't have no evidence to back it up because he hasn't shown it and says he's had the chance. He hasn't, just had sort of cameo appearances and him and Buendira switching in and out like he was under Gerard. Under Emery, he started pretty much every game and in a position that allows him to not think about going the other way. Yeah. Standing up front. I know he's got defensive responsibilities, but everything there is sort of allowing for him to use his best attributes, which is counter-attacking with pace, his left foot, he can cut inside, link with Watkins, there's options for him. And yeah, honestly, it's just, I, I don't know where he kind of you know, goes from here because it is really frustrating to watch. And no doubt he's incredibly frustrated himself as well. You know, it's, yeah, it's not I'm like not going to be happy that he's not playing well. Exactly, yeah. Um, we'll take a, a quick straw poll from the couple hundred people that are watching along live. Just reply for, for Leon Bailey's future, uh, keep, bench, sell, something like that. You, you want him starting, you want him in the squad, or you want to just get rid of him. I found a, a tweet from during the game, like a minute-by-minute minute update that Greg Evans did of that kind of Buendia Bailey moment I was just talking about. <laughs> it's actually a great tweet, the way he's written it. He said, Buendia loses the ball, wins it back, races forward, holds off challenges, retains possession under pressure, finds a teammate, makes a good run into space, but then watches Leon Bailey hopelessly lob across into the box that he's easily dealt with. It's like, yeah, that's it. That was the moment. A little bit of hard work, a little bit of something there, effectively ruined by Leon Bailey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, sell, only... sell, bench, sell, 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 keep. Uh, he's better off the bench. Sell, bench, sell, give away. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much my, the, the synopsis there. My only sort of other thought on it would be that, and I've said for a while, we need to improve the first 11, which improves yeah. the bench. Yeah. I don't think we can think, you know, our belly's out form, whatever it may be, I'll sell him. And I, I'm okay, but I think that would come down to what Bailey wants. You know, similar to Danny Ings. Danny Ings was not really going to have a future at Villa. He knew he was going to leave in the summer if it wasn't now and you know in January. When a decent offer was tabled by Villa, we didn't, you know, keep him and say, oh no, we want 18 million. You know, we'll take 50 million and allow you to leave. That'll be a similar case to Bailey, I presume, if if he's not in Emery's plans, we don't know. But I think we've got to be careful because we can't just swap a first team, sorry, a first eleven player out and bring another one in. Because then the bench is still the same. You know, you, mm. if Troy doesn't have a future, who, who are we bringing on to try and impact a game? I know Bailey hasn't been at it yet, but it, we do have to think about that. For example, if we had no Troy or no Bailey today, who are we bringing off the bench to play in that role? But, yeah, you know, I know what you mean. I know Duran's there too, but I meant, you know, like a midfielder, someone who can 
do that sort of role. Um, so I think we've got to be careful of that too. You know, kind of improve your first eleven, but that means you know Bailey having potentially fewer starts, but someone of his quality can still come off the bench, in my opinion, and do something. I just think he's lacking so much confidence at the moment. Um, yeah. The summer will be a big one for him, and I think it mainly depends about what he wants to do with his future rather than anything else. Um, just on the penalty kind of phase of play, I guess, before we move on, and we'll keep this section a little bit brief, um, the stream I was watching on, the commentators, I don't know who it was, but I thought they were terrible, first of all. Um, very biased towards West Ham. And there was a comment about Stephen Gerrard as well, where they said about like, the job Emery's done um, and not the improvement over Stephen Gerrard. And was it like the right decision? And whoever the commentator was was like, well, you know, I, I like Stephen. I'm a fan of his. And he'll be back in management, management soon to, to have another go at another job. It's like, come on. Absolutely woeful. Never manage again if, if he's lucky. Um I don't know if that's Stephen Gerrard. Anyway, the the little phase I've played before, um, before it gets to the penalty, obviously Watkins clears it off the line. But before even that, Martinez almost flaps at the, the ball in from the corner a little bit. And there was a couple of occasions, I can't give you specifics, but there was a couple of occasions throughout the game where I, I didn't feel like Martinez was commanding his area as well as usual. It just mm-hmm. looked a little bit of an off day. This isn't an anti-Martinez, time to sell him and cash in segment because it's not that at all. But it just didn't look quite there. And if Martinez claims that ball, Watkins doesn't clear it off the line and Bailey doesn't get to do his silly penalty giveaway anyway. So just a couple of little moments there that just all built up together. Yeah, I think, again, like I've said it for a while, I think we all have. Um, we almost don't realise how good Martinez has been at claiming balls, um, dealing with crosses, being a presence in his box. So I think once it does happen, we probably think like, oh, I probably could have done better. And it's like, yeah, he probably could, but I suppose it's nothing that we'll kind of dwell on. And it'll, it's not something that I'm like fearful of in the future, if that makes no, sense. No. I think he had the most claims of something in the Premier League last year. Um, yeah, potentially that's, so again, that's a reason, but we probably don't talk about it if Bailey doesn't make his mistake. And yeah. West Ham, so many corners and crosses into the box, didn't they? That they're, they're sort of build-up players were woeful, I thought. Um we were vulnerable from those set pieces as well, and that's, that is a little, well, con- little bit of a concern. True, but I feel like most teams would look vulnerable when balls are just being piled on. If, yeah. if I don't know what crosses they had, but say if they had, I don't know, 20 corners in a game, it felt like they did. I think at least five of them, you're gonna the ball's going to bounce in the six-yard box you know, for one of them. If we deal with all of them, that's you know pretty exceptional. So, yeah, I just think West Ham were really poor, sort of dire, really, in terms of the build-up play. They were kind of playing for set pieces, like a... I was watching, not by my own sort of choice, I was at the West Brom Huddersfield game um, to cover that on Saturday. Oh, he was so bad. Like, <laughs> turgid. Um, but for like West Ham, like that as well, just with better players. They were playing like a championship team, you know, winning second balls and, part, you know, that, that sort of thing. But they had better quality of players. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, for Martinez, um, one that he'll want to improve on. He'd probably give him a sleepless night, to be fair, because <laughs> that's just how he is. Um, yeah. You know, I'm going to sort of worry about long term, but yeah, it was a scrappy goal, really. That was definitely a game we we could have got a clean sheet from, and we would have won the game for sure. We probably would have won it two 0 Yeah, um, going out and getting another goal, I, I would have thought. But yeah, shame, sort of manner that we conceded. Yeah, it was twelve corners in the game. It did feel a lot more though, you're right, and, and, and kind of lump it into the box. Um, final one, Alex Moreno. Now I don't know how to kind of approach this one because I. My initial point that I was going to raise as is, is he actually any good? But he is good. <laughs> but he's not... Is he like... If Luca Dean... Is, again, this is very visual for people who aren't watching. If Luca Dean is here, is Moreno all the way up here better? Or is he a little bit better? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not... Hmm. 
they've both got their pros and cons. I think Moreno is very good going forward in, in comparison to Luca Dean, but defensively, I just think he's very vulnerable going the other way, and that's a problem. And that you're almost looking at going, okay, Moreno has been a good signing, but is Moreno the first choice left back next season for the entire season? If we're to push up to sixth place, is he good enough for that? I'm not quite sure. Is he good enough to be a good standing deputy to whoever we bring in in the summer? And Luca Dean isn't part of the equation. I I, I really like him. Um, I think he has been, say, caught out, I suppose, um, in his first, how many games he's played? Like five or six now, I, w- I would have thought. But I, like, I don't, I feel like most teams would target the new Spanish left back in the Premier League. Yeah, this game for Villa that, you know, the, for 12 million quid as well. I, I I can't really see much fault in it. Um, I, I really can't. I think going forward, he is excellent, and he, he's thinking like like a Dwight McNeil sort of player for Everton, who's like a winger and he puts balls in the box. It's almost pointless having that sort of profile of player these days when you can just have it in your left back, like we have yeah. in you know. Like I would argue that Moreno is a better you know offensive player than Dwight. I'm not just singling out Dwight <laughs> McNeil, right? But you know what I mean? He's a better offensive player, in my opinion, than Dwight McNeil. So when we're on the attack, and as we've seen today through the first, our only goal, sorry, he's there, he's, he's kind of overloading that left-hand side and he's offering space, he's getting chalk on his boots, allowing more space in the middle, uh, middle of the pitch and offering really good delivery as well. Most crosses that he puts in the box, if they don't hit the target, they're in a dangerous area. Mm. And I don't, I'm not saying Luca Dean can't do that, but... I don't really remember him putting... I mean, I know he put that ball in the box for the um, Everton chance that Watkins could have scored. Very similar, actually, to the one that we scored today. Yeah. But I don't remember him having sort of five games where he puts three, bo- three balls in the box um, that we could score from. And that's what Moreno does do. He gets to the byline. And I think, obviously, defensively, we look at it and think, OK, well, he's kind of coming up short at the moment. But this is why he's playing. This is why Unamri bought him in January, because he's got 15 games, should we say, to try and adapt to Premier League mm. attack and yeah. different tactics defensively. Um, he won all of his tackles today, made three chances and had 84% pass accuracy, which is really solid. And his numbers that he's posted since he joined have been good. I think it's just in little moments, for example, when Jared Bowen, like I don't remember Matty Cash particularly being asked to do too much or their, their left wing doing, you know, his, at least in the first half, he's mainly going down their right channel with uh, Bowen. But I thought he dealt with it okay, Moreno. There was a couple of times where he'd kind of get caught out ever so slightly, but teams will target him and I think he'll, he'll only be better for that. Going forward, I think in the summer, I can't see us buying another left-back thing for Luca Dean to be I your... I don't think Dean will be here next season. I think he's too expensive to be back up. He's on, his wages are high. We spent a lot of money on him. I think Moreno and somebody else will be... I don't know whether that'll be a youth prospect yeah. to, to back up to Moreno or another first-team player will come in to compete alongside him, but I can't see Dean being here. I think, I'm not sure, again, I think it depends on the player. I think it's like him and Bailey, for example, players that would expect to be first team when they joined and now they're, all of a sudden they're not. It depends what they want to do. And as much as Luca Dean isn't, we know he's not the sort of the preferred, is that is that is a lot of game time? You know, yeah, yeah, okay. so it, I, I feel like Emery was almost going to just use them both for different reasons and we don't have one outstanding left back, but we have mm. two left backs who can do different jobs. And I just think we have bigger, not problems, but bigger... Well, I suppose they are probably bigger. Priorities. Yes, exactly that. And do we need to to improve Luca Dean and Alex Moreno? In my opinion, you have to spend what, like 35, 40 million quid on a left back. Mm. So if you do that, then we've then got space for another what 80 million pounds worth of signings, probably. That's two more players. So, mm. you know, because we're going to have to spend 40 million pounds on each player, in my opinion, to really improve the team, especially in the attacking areas. Like Alex Moreno can cost 12, 30 million quid because he's nearly 30. 
and he isn't like a well-beaten left back. But for us to sign a top forward who's going to improve us, we're going to have to spend big money unless you get free transfer. And I don't think someone like Marcus Tran is going to come to us. Gendouzi is going to be 40 million. So you you got to kind of allocate your cost effectively. Um, so yeah, I think that's yeah, more priorities than left back in my opinion. I think Moreno's done well. He'll just, um, you know, continue to be tested, should we say. But I do think that's that will benefit him. And I think there is a good player in him. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think that's pretty much it from this post-match show. We've got a packed week of content coming up over the next week or so, or week or two, actually, with uh, the international break coming up soon as well. Um, I think we've pretty much covered everything I wanted to for West Ham today. It's Ash Young's 200th appearance for the club in the Premier League. Well, I don't know that IVFC Sato, if you're still watching, because I seen he posted one earlier. I don't know if that's 200 Premier League appearances or just 200 total. Probably total, isn't it? I suppose he only had was it like four years with us? I think in the Premier League, which would have been yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it must be. I don't know actually because he had a year. If he played every season, thirty-eight games, three lots of that would be. Yeah, to be fair, Mark. Yeah, yeah, it probably is because I've seen Stato all knows. I'm hoping he's still watching so he can find out. I've definitely seen somewhere two hundredth appearance, but I don't know whether it was Premier League or just in total. But yeah, nice round of applause for Ash Young to have that longevity uh, with us and across his career. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for for this post match show. Um, on Tuesday, we're now kind of dedicating Tuesday as our midweek podcast day. So there'll be a podcast every single press conference day. So that's usually a Thursday or a Friday. There'll be a post match show on the day of the the match usually. So that could be a Saturday, Sunday, Friday night, Monday night, Wednesday night, whatever it ends up being. Um, and then Tuesday is our like midweek episode where we'll talk about something else. So we want suggestions of topics you want us to talk about. It could be nostalgia stuff. It could be um, specific players. Like we said about does Ollie Watkins deserve a new contract? It could be like a 15-minute mini podcast episode that we want, want to do. Um, this week's show is going to be about the Villa Park atmosphere. So if you're still watching this episode, the post-match West Ham, and you want to comment your thoughts on the atmosphere at Villa Park, leave them down below and we'll read some of those out on Tuesday's show. Uh, what do you think about the atmosphere, John, quickly? <laughs> um, on the spot. I, I personally don't think it's um, sort of bad as what people make out to be. I think the atmosphere is okay. The players need to do their bit and the fans will follow. My only gripe is that I don't like it when people boo and stuff when the ball goes backwards because they're doing it for a reason. Hmm. Short and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, a few people said they think it's 200 for Villa, must be Premier League. It was 100 for Martinez today. It was 100, Martinez's 100th Villa appearance. It's not his 100th Premier League appearance for us yet, because I know that's coming up in a couple of games, I think. Yeah. Ollie Watkins is also close to 100 Premier League appearances for us as well. I know that's coming up as well, because they were signed at the same time, weren't they? So it's bound to be similar. Um, yeah, so Tuesday's show about the Villa Park atmosphere. On Thursday or Friday, there'll be a pre-match show for the Bournemouth game. That'll be me and Ash, because you're going away on holiday, is it, this week? Yeah. Yeah, where yes. are you going? Uh, Porto. Porto. Oh, yeah. oh, yes, yeah, you said. Are you going to go to Victoria and do some research? I, I am, actually, yeah. Yeah, 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 actually. I, I am, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for one of the days, I'll go to Victoria and see what I can do. I wanted to speak to someone at the club and stuff. We haven't kind of got anywhere with that just yet, but hopefully we'll have some... Well, hopefully quite a lot of content, but we'll we'll see what we can do. There's not loads to do. I really wanted to go to a game and kind of flavour the atmosphere, but um, mm. yeah, unfortunately not. A, maybe like a tour of the stadium and see what we can do. But yeah, I kind of wanted for a bit more, but I can't. Um, yeah, there's different reasons why we can't uh, get total access at the moment. Mm. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, 
And then the post-match show for Bournemouth will be next Saturday. That should be me and Matt Kendrick. And then again, the cycle repeats. Tuesday will be something. Then pre-match and post-match. And we're trying to do more and introduce things. Uh, and then it's international break, isn't it? Uh, soon as well. Villa women's, yes. That's on our to-do list. That's, that's certainly... I think you're going to take that, aren't you? Yeah, that's... Uh, we'll have that out in the uh, international break. So not next week, the week after. Yeah. And I'm off to film something on this Friday as well. Not with a player or anything like that. But we're just trying to get out and do more bits to kind of supplement the pre-match, post-match stuff. Um, so yeah, I think we're... I think we're heading in, in the right direction. So thanks everyone for your support as always. We're watching whatever it is we post. Uh, we do really appreciate it. John, thanks for your time this Sunday evening. Um, like I said, we'll be back on Tuesday with an episode about the Villa Park atmosphere. So we'll see you then for that. Thanks everyone for watching. And uh, yeah, we'll see you again very soon. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue and Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the villa. Up the villa.